As hard and stridently and well-meaning as believers try to make the New Testament narrative apply literally today uh, in institutionalized religion, it has been and it will continue to be a fail. It will be an utter fail because God has never intended that. That's why the churches fail. Recorded in the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah. This is Heart of the Matter, where we're learning to walk in the age of fulfillment. I'm your host, Sean McCraney. Let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, be with us as we seek truth in spirit. And uh, be with Seth and Wendy and Mags and, and anybody else involved in getting the show out. And help our viewers, whoever they are, to be able to discern truth from error and to uh, seek you with all their heart and mind and soul. In Jesus' name, amen. Here in the state of Utah, there are a number of ministries that read out, reach out to LDS people. Utah Lighthouse Ministry is one of those. They're the original, they're the OG, the original gangster. Uh, uh, and everyone sort of followed in thereafter, including our ministry, which moved into the state in 2006. Um, at that time, there were several street ministries out there of whom I've never really met eye to eye. Um, one was headed by a man named Aaron Shafafalov, and uh, Aaron is a dedicated soul to the cause of Christ. And while he has some pretty harsh things to say about me uh, personally, Aaron is Aaron is an Aaron. Aaron is a ardent Trinitarianism and a. Tri Trinitarian and a Calvinist, and he has a street preacher mentality, so to speak. I know he means well, and, um, and I think he's probably far more devout than I will ever be. So I want to preface my comments about, about Aaron be, uh, with that before we go on. It doesn't mean that his views are, are correct in my estimation. Aaron ardently postulates the importance of being in a local church and submitting to its apparent authority, and that includes its discipline over you uh, for sin in your life. And on a recent exposition on Aaron's website, he wrote the following about Matthew 18, 20, where Jesus says, quote, where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. And Aaron asks, or says, this might mean the exact opposite of how you've heard it used. This is not about casual ad hoc churches that, like vapors, emerge briefly and then disappear. Neither is it about the mere universal church that spans the globe, inclusive of all Christians, expressed in unplanned intersections of believers at a coffee shop. He says the context, 18, uh, 15 through 20, is more serious. I want you to catch the little words. It's more serious. It describes a protocol of increasing escalation of confrontation that eventually arrives, if necessary, at excommunication. He says, let's read it. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, 
let him be unto you as a Gentile or a tax collector. Truly, Jesus says, I say unto you, whatsoever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Again, I say unto you, if two or three agree on earth about anything they ask, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am among you. I want to point out before I go on to say uh, comment on, on Aaron's comments, is notice that Jesus is talking to his apostles. He, Jesus, is talking to his Jewish apostles about going out and sharing. And he tells them, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be uh, loosed on earth. So he's talking to apostles who had authority in that day and age to do what they did. And they had mighty authority as they went and they performed miracles and they did a number of other things. That's the context, is it's talking to apostles. He wasn't giving this to the general church. He wasn't giving it to local pastors. He was giving it to his apostles. So I just want to clarify that before we go on. Aaron now says, it refers to identifiable regular governed gatherings that are organized enough to recognize leadership and implement in a church-wide coordinated way church discipline. The verse is about Jesus putting his divine stamp of approval as though bodily present on a properly administered act of church discipline. Paul uses similar language referring to church discipline saying, for though be absent in body, I am present in spirit. And, and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord and my spirit is present with the power of the Lord Jesus, you are able to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. He's quoting from 1 Corinthians 5. Now again, he's citing Paul, who's a specially called apostle by Christ who had the authority given him to perform miracles and to do things. And Paul says, whether I am present with you or not, I have already pronounced judgment. And when you are assembled, so he gives them at that time his apostolic authority to make a decision about a brother who was having relations with his father's wife. And that's the context again. An apostle. Aaron is citing what apostles were saying and what, how apostles were being instructed. So Aaron says, it's a kind of thing that would be exercised on anyone who bears the, same, the name of a brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler. So he, what he's doing is he's taking the, these passages and he's saying, if there's somebody in your congregation, because we have an established thing going on here by Jesus and Paul themselves, that if anybody is subject to greed, he says, or sexual immorality or an idolater or reviler or drunkard or swindler, this should be in place. Or someone who, though having called themselves a brother, has via persistent bad behavior 
or undue absence, undue absence from the group, separated themselves from the local church they were once committed to. Aaron says, so if you're inclined to think that the passage means you don't need a well-regulated church, submission to elders, church discipline, i.e. excommunication, or a regular identifiable gathering or some semblance of church membership, at least defined as identifiable, mutually affirmed recognition of Christian faith and belonging, then you're taking the text in the exact opposite direction. End quote. This is such a misappropriation of scripture. He has no right to take this and, and assign it to anybody today. As Jesus was again talking to his apostles and Paul was an apostle when he gave people that authority. He says, churches are outpost embassies of a kingdom that are marked by authority, governance, corporate unity, and regular gatherings. If you find yourself needing restoration from sin, but refuse the gentle and then increasingly firm pleadings of your local church, you just might find your name announced at the church members meeting. Okay, so he's increasing the heat here. And if you have refused to attach yourself to a local church of believers so that the gates of hell would not prevail against it, and with their power and the Holy Spirit and their authority, they govern that small church of believers through those horrible times and brought her through the other end for Jesus to come and take her. And that was with a super abundance of the Holy Spirit, miracles and all sorts of things. Once Jesus came and took that pure and unblemished bride, which Paul says she had to be that, pure and unblemished, God plainly says in more ways than one that the faith was going to be written on individuals' hearts and minds. No longer would neighbor preach to neighbor, know the Lord, know the Lord, for all who were his would know him. Unfortunately and thirdly, Brother Aaron, while trying his darndest to implement these rules given to others and to do it with a usurped authority from the text, he fails to abide by all the New Testament directives as a believer today. And that makes him an accomplice to hypocrisy. I'm not calling him a hypocrite. I think his intentions are pure, I think. And, and I'm not calling him not saying he's not a brother. I'm simply saying that his approach, I'm using it today because it so emphatically stresses this idea that we're under the New Testament model still, and yet he can't support or sustain any of it. He cannot do it. The last thing is what Aaron is in, in what Aaron is suggesting here is anathematic to the idea of Romans 2, where Paul plainly teaches that condemning someone for something when you're also guilty of sin is wrong. It's wrong. That's the central tenet of the Christian faith. In the New Testament age, there was an authority to act out like Aaron is describing. And it was given to apostles. If it was to be acted out today, 
it would have to be acted out by living apostles over the, the, the physical church on earth. We do not have apostles anymore. So Aaron takes texts where the apostles are being given the power and the apostles are given the instruction. The apostles disappear from earth. God doesn't replace them because now he's going to write individually on hearts through the Holy Spirit. But Aaron goes back to the ancient text and says, we still need to be doing this. All right. That authority is nowhere bestowed on any other human being today. And therefore attempt, it will be an utter fail because God has never intended that. That's why the churches fail. And when you find a church that tries to do this with a local congregation to, to call people out for their sin and excommunicate them and have two or three witnesses do all this stuff, nobody's worthy to do that in my estimation. I mean, who can, who has the right to do it? And, and uh, because only the apostles did in the new Testament, and yet they're trying to play church with it. And it's kind of disturbing. God knew this. And that's why he said, my, when my bride is small, my bride for my son is small. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. And my apostles who are alive will govern that church through to the end when I will come and take her. After that, all of this stuff is over. And there are zero, um, there's zero authority in anyone to be able to go out and do the things that Aaron is suggesting. So tonight, that was just a little preamble to tonight. Our long show, we're going to begin a series that I'm calling New Biblical Perspectives. And I'm going to take different passages of scripture or whatever it is, and I'm going to show you how, to, how that I think the scripture is being described and why it does or does not fit in our day and age. And I'm going to teach through a portion, portion of the New Testament that I think is obsolete. It's my least favorite portion of the New Testament. And it comes from what are called the pastoral epistles. The pastoral epistles are when Paul writes to Timothy and Titus who are overseeing the church in an area. And he is instructing them again as an apostle on how to do church in that age when God was going to come and take her away. And we are going to, uh, there's three pastoral epistles, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. And I'm just going to refer to 1 Timothy as we talk. So let's just take this short discussion about Aaron's stance, which there should be discipline, there should be excommunication, there should be two or three witnesses, people's sins should be called out, there's a corporate tangible church that should be in order, should be established. And let's work through this thing called the New Biblical Perspectives. Do I take the word of God seriously? I absolutely do. And I want to execute my faith and walk with the least amount of hypocrisy as possible because I have enough in my own life. So New Testament is absolutely applicable in every way to the church of believers today. That's Aaron's view. He would say every way. And those who suggest that it's not. And I would suggest that that is an either or. It's either you follow the Bible or you don't. You follow it or you do not. Literally, actually, fully, or you do not. Even if you take one passage out and say, that one we don't do, you're, you're gone. You can't do that. 
It's either follow it or you don't, okay? So I am of the latter group, but my reason is not based on preference of text in the least. It's just based on my eschatology. If Jesus has not come back and taken the church as I maintain, then the Bible is absolutely a direct literal manual on how to live as God wants us to live until he takes his church. Understand that. And that's the position Aaron takes. It, it, he, Jesus hasn't come. We are under these directives. Therefore, they must be obeyed. So I admit that. And no matter what the New Testament says, if it's inspired and if it's directing believers on how to live and what to do until Jesus comes back to take his bride, we should follow it. No exceptions. And this would be because Jesus is still coming in the future to collect the church that's going to be his little bride or big bride now. And it's, it's gonna, it represents who he's married to his own church, and he's going to come back and get her. So, and as I said, Paul says, and she has to be pure, blameless, without spot, holy. Okay. And that's why Aaron is saying, we need to have a church that is this way. Therefore, we need to police each other. And when someone has a sin, someone has something wrong in their life, someone isn't attending as regularly as they should, they should be excommunicated. That's his thing. They should suffer church discipline. And again, I think his reasoning is right. If Jesus hasn't come back. So you understand there's no getting around this, don't you? I hope you do. There's none. Unless you want to create your own rules and your own ways. And uh, which is what people obviously do, but I'm not one of them. So to me, either the apostles wrote the truth or they didn't. And if what they wrote is true, filled, Jesus hasn't returned. So therefore, there should be church discipline. There should be communion. And there should be acting out of everything the apostles wrote to the church in that day. So let's get into what I see as the least applicable book in the New Testament. And that's 1 Timothy. I really don't like the book. There's a few gems in there that are beneficial to us today. But I think the book is just absolutely not applicable to us now. All right, I've covered most of the New Testament verse by verse. Paul writes here in 1 Timothy, them that sin rebuke before all that others may fear. Them that sin rebuke before all that others may fear. That's a quote. That's 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 20. He tells Timothy, do this. If Jesus has not returned, I agree with the statement. I accept it as of the Holy Spirit. And I would, no matter the fallout, be doing that here at campus. I would be policing. I would see who has any kind of sin in their life. And I would rebuke them before the group. You are guilty of this. Okay? 
for reasons that I have given, but to reiterate, I would do this because I believe that this advice is vital to the church being true and pure and holy and without spot as Paul commands. And I believe that Paul was inspired by the Holy Spirit to write that. And I believe I don't have the right to change that practice in the least just because people are uncomfortable with it or it creates problems. I would submit to it. I would support it whole, wholeheartedly. And I believe that the circumstances, uh, if I believe the circumstances have not changed, uh, I would be doing that here at campus, even if it drove, drove everybody away, because that is what is described in the church in that day. But my question is, why churches today who believe Jesus is still coming back in the future are not following this advice. I know some are. Aaron is suggesting that, I guess the church he goes to does. We've seen this practice depicted in Hollywood films. The Witch is a film where it's depicted. The Scarlet Letter, the White Ribbon, the big one, The Crucible. All of these pieces of literature transformed into movies depicts this being a congregation, bringing up the sinners, how do they also believe Jesus is coming back to take his pure, sacred, uh, undefiled bride? Why on earth are they not doing this as a weekly practice, at least in calling people out their sin before the uh, congregation? Them that sin rebuke before everybody that others also may fear. Fear. That's what Paul said. The, the, the implication is, Timothy, the church has to be so pure that if someone is doing something wrong, you call them out, you tell them what they're doing, presumably by the Holy Spirit, maybe by word of mouth, you call them out and you excommunicate them and you make everybody else fear becoming an example like that so that they'll stay on the right path. Was that the way it was in that day? It was. That's the way it went in that church. And the New Testament proves it. People don't want to hear that, but it's the truth. It wasn't all love and flowers and raspberries. It was. It was. <laughs> it was straight up conform to the apostles' way of purity or be freaking cast to the curb. And we have Aaron. He's now he, he's out there spouting. This is what it needs to be as someone who thinks it can actually be done. So take them that sin, rebuke them all contextually before the church or congregation so others may fear. And we come to something that I believe is truly important in this day and age of understanding the scripture in context. We either practice what the New Testament principles depict as important to the faith or we offer justifiable reasons why we do not practice what the New Testament depicts. I personally renounce the practice of claiming to follow the Bible and to believe that Jesus is coming back and to omit things from uh, your practice in church. If you say we're a church that teaches the Bible and you say we're a church that teaches Jesus is coming back and you aren't following 1 Timothy 5.20, you are in grave danger of hypocrisy, right? You can't do it without being a hypocrite. 
So either follow it or give reasonable support as to why you don't follow it, but you cannot say you follow the Bible and not, not as a committed believer. Restaurant downtown, you had four and a half tequilas, and that is sin. Repent or be cast out, Brother Jones. Sister Smith, you told a lie about your husband's occupation to the ladies at the group. Repent or be cast out. Brother Michael, stand up. We have something to talk to you about as a body of believers. Sister Fran, little Jimmy, and on and on and on. Is your church practicing it? Why not? The next question is, can a church in this day and age reasonably practice this? An age where God writes his laws upon the hearts and minds of those who are his by his spirit? I mean, we all go come from different vicinities to attend the churches that we go to today. Back in the day when this was written, everybody was a neighbor who, who made up the, the local church, the local gathering, the called out ones. They all knew what everyone was doing in the city and everybody talked. We have people now driving from 20 miles circumference in it, from an area coming into a church. You don't know who's doing what. How could it possibly work? Unless you want to be like the Mormons and you have geographical boundaries for where people meet, which is one of the reasons they do that. And then the idea is, is there, are there people worthy enough to do the calling out, which is a big thing, and not be guilty of hypocrisy? Can a church today feasibly do this? Who can do it? How do they do it? What other things need to be placed, be in place for the calling out of sins of others before a congregation effectively? How can a church of 200 do it? or a church of 500 or 1,000. My point is, folks, I, as the Bible emphatically states and supports, suggest that Jesus came back and he took his church as promised. And these principles that Paul gives to Timothy are obsolete. They're unimportant and not applicable in the least because all things of the material church have been shaken and nothing remains the only thing that remains is God directly relating to people who are his. There is no hypocrisy or failure in this view. It's biblically supported and it gives justification for non-action on things like this passage. But most importantly, it is endorsed by the living God. Hypocrisy is not. It's not. Did you make reference to marijuana as a great gateway drug. It is hard to deal with the black-hearted lies that come out. Well, Tim, if you don't think marijuana is a gateway drug, uh, I, I, I'm not saying it is for everybody, but I think uh, marijuana is certainly something that leads to something else. And I think studies have proven that. I hate to just throw studies out there, but I think they've shown that it leads to further and further uh, intoxicants and uh, in some people. So uh, if it works in one person on this earth, if marijuana is a gateway drug for them, they started with marijuana and they went to Coke or hash or heroin, then it's a gateway drug, right? That's how I see it. If it does one person, it's a gateway drug, whether, even if they're the exception. And so I would challenge you on your argument. 
Religious manipulations, Tim Fuller says, fooled you twice, shame on you. Um, I don't know what that means. All right, uh, Don Preston debates, Robert Hass says, was there any belief in the second century that Revelation referred to past events rather than future ones, or that Jesus' second coming had already occurred? There, there, it, there is. We have a book that's a bit... A, available to you online, uh, and it's called It's Not the End of the World. In that book, you can download it for free uh, or uh, read it for free. There are quotes from early church leaders who say the second coming of Christ occurred at the destruction of Jerusalem. So it was out there. The problem is because there were still believers on the earth, uh, and the notion that Jesus was still coming back to take his bride was popular because that's what kept people coming to church. It just grew from there and no one knew who disappeared. Why didn't anybody know who disappeared? Because the believers all disappeared from Jerusalem. No one knew who was from there or not. So there was no evidence of it. They were gone. And so there was no one there to write it. And they say, well, if there's no one there to write it, wouldn't somebody have said my neighbor? No. They were gone. The believers were gone. The non-believers didn't know where the believers went. They were an inclusive little group at that time. They were taken. So, and it happened at Jesus' second coming. So check that out, Robert, that book. Uh, President Joe Biden makes Trump pansies cry, says Mormonism is a literal cult. No, we're all human. And I don't think the LDS are perfect. And so let's just understand that the bishop did make a mistake. We all do. I think that bishop's heart was going to be in the right place. But in the long run, it probably just made it worse. Um, hope this comes across right. This really has this really has coming straight from my heart, being someone who has been sexually assaulted. Hope sexually assaulted. I hope you have a fantastic day. So... Uh, Christy Johnson, her father repeatedly molested her uh, for years from a young daughter and her other sisters as well. And those, those sisters have died uh, early, prematurely as a result of that. And Christy was telling us that the church protected him. That was the, the crime. It's not that people can make mistakes who are in ecclesiastical positions. The thing is the church protected that man from the police being involved. That's her crime. That's her call against the Mormon church in that show. So I, I try to put that forward. It was that they protected him and didn't come to her defense. On Sola Scriptura, has Sean just watched a Bart Ehrman debate for the first time? Uh, no, I didn't watch a Bart Ehrman debate. I've never watched a Bart Ehrman debate. I don't think I've ever watched a debate. I honestly don't think I've, wa I've watched presentations. Uh, but I don't think I've ever watched a presentation by Bart Ehrman and, uh, or a debate by Bart Ehrman. And I haven't read his book, but I know what he believes. And I think that Bart uh, is missing a few things when it comes to perspective on scripture. Um, the, but Sola Scriptura, the show that Wendy posted, is all about the fact that for the first 230 years, there was no Bible, no New Testament. There was a Bible, Old Testament. There was no New Testament. And the church for the first 230 years survived by the Holy Spirit guiding it along with apostles in the early days. And the Holy Spirit was primary. And then after those 230 years, 
We went into a place where the Bible wasn't even available. It couldn't be read. Literacy, liter literacy rates were down. It couldn't be understood. There was no printing press. It wasn't ubiquitously agreed upon as to what the contents were. There were pseudepigraphal uh, books in the Bible at that time. So we didn't even know what was acceptable and not. And that was all the way out to 1530. So my point is that at 1530, when the Protestant Reformation comes forward and says, the Bible is our authority, what about for the first 1530 years where God didn't even have it as his authority? It's the Holy Spirit. The Bible's important. This is proven by the modern charismatic movement whose prophets have said 10,000 times, the Holy Spirit told me that Trump will win the second term. Everybody has to go to politics. Or the Holy Spirit told me that COVID-19 will be over by Easter 2020. Or the Holy Spirit told me to divorce my wife and marry this new lady. No thanks, exclamation point. I stick with God's word, with the Holy Spirit interpreting God's word for us. No extra biblical revelation like Joseph Smith or Kenneth Copeland. You, sir, have completely missed my point. I, we study the Bible weekly here to great extent. I'm in it constantly. It is, that is not my point at all. The Bible is, is our secondary source to see if the inspirations we get are in harmony with God's will. That's what we use it for. So if a man has, says, the Holy Spirit told me to divorce my wife and marry a new lady, that would be a lie, wouldn't it? Because the Bible condemns divorce, except it was for adultery. That's what it says. All right. If, the, if Joseph Smith comes up and says, the Holy Spirit told me to make polygamous uh, marriages part of God's plan, we would look at the Bible and what it says contextually, and we'd say, no, that's how it works. My only point with the Bible being primary again is that when it comes to doctrinal division over interpretation of the book that you want to hold up as the supreme authority, and the differences are many, that the spirit of love should abide between believers and not the letter of the law, because the letter of the word in the Bible causes us to divide. God knew that. That's why he didn't give us a printed form of it for the first 1,530 years. So what you're, what you're saying is kind of like um, people drive cars and people get killed in cars. Therefore, driving cars is not good. And because people take the Holy Spirit and abuse it, you're justifying that to say something else should be done in its place. And you say there's no continued revelation. Of course there's continued revelation. If there's not continued revelation from God to his children in him guiding them, that doesn't mean a new doctrine that opposes the Bible. But God is going to lead his children in different ways. The Bible isn't going to tell somebody whether they should open a restaurant or not. But God by the Spirit could certainly say to somebody, I'm not sure this is the best idea. Maybe hold off on this right now. And you could look at scriptures that say, listen to God by the Spirit. I mean, relative to Denver Snuffer and his early life in part one, Robbie France says, exceptional interview of a guy, Denver, who seems totally unpretentious. He came across to me as extremely likable. I look forward to part two. That's great. I think Denver was uh, extremely likable in terms of being unpretentious. I don't know. But in terms of being someone to trust, 
don't know that either. I mean, because you like somebody and or dislike somebody doesn't mean they're right or wrong. You could dislike me and it doesn't make me wrong. You could like me and it doesn't make me right. What you think of the person is irrelevant to the message they're giving, even though that's not how we see the, see things in this world. So just remember that. Be careful of of the of uh, how you interpret people and the message they give by their personality. Uh, why do Mormons say, why do you say Mormons are not Christians is the show. Ezekiel Lister said, answering a question while rolling your eyes first doesn't really help me watch your channel. Plus your former Mormon and teaching the Bible at any church without proper authority. Where am I going to get this authority? Will you tell me? How can I get it? Please tell me where I can get the authority. I'm trying to get it somewhere. He says, is without, and I am without true knowledge. You used to be one of us. So I'm assuming this is a Mormon. You left, now you work for the other side. <laughs> My heart goes out to your soul. I hope, Obi, I hope one of us can help bring you back before you die in this life. You still have time. Well, let me tell you, Ezekiel. I think you misunderstand me. That's an old show. I was a little bit more acerbic and angry in those times. But um, I will never be a Mormon. Uh, no matter what, I will never be a Mormon again in my life. Because Mormonism is false. It's, it's, it's false. It's not true. And the Bible proves that. Joseph Smith's history proves that. So you can say, I used to be a Mormon. You left. I don't have proper authority. You don't have any authority, dude. I got to read his Grant Palmer's book, Insider's View of Mormon Origins. And you can see that the priest, Melchizedek priesthood authority. Uh, that is why in the Greek, there is no masculine or feminine pronoun assigned to the Holy Spirit. It really should, when referring to the Holy Spirit, always be it. it men are the one who changed that and made it in the uh, gender, uh, made it gender specific instead of gender neutral. But the Holy Spirit in the New Testament in the manuscripts that we have is always gender neutral and is always an it. So because we called it a he and making it a person uh, is another reason I don't agree with the Trinita. And then uh, Bill Davis regarding Don Preston said, may father bless your understanding. And uh, Democracy, uh, Thomas Houghton says, new here, are you a 501c3 sponsored organization? I responded to his question. I don't know why he wants to know that, but uh, we used to be a 501c3 uh, uh, tax exempt organization in California. And when we came to Utah, we established ourselves at a, as a recognized church in the state of Utah. And as a recognized church, we don't need the 501c3 um, assignment any longer because churches are naturally tax exempt. And that's the way that you have to see that. So yes and no. We used to be a 501c3, but we still have tax exemption in the state of Utah because we are a church. 
Relative to democracy, Richard Anzalar said, your show has helped me escape my echo chamber. Your insight has helped me. The spirit helps me. Praise God. And democracy, uh, Aslan Karan says, it's rather interesting to witness the churches closing again. One would think their members would ask their church leaders, do you think God is not essential? Another reason to get out of them. Yes, this is not a democracy any way the USA is a constitutional republic. So many keep using democracy. The religions under 501c3 are under the politicians' control. Thank you for bringing this topic up. And it's true, and I just, I just readily admit, we keep our tax-exempt status because people give money uh, to the ministry because of that tax-exempt status. And that's total sellout. I admit it. It's a uh, crack in my attempt to be true. Because if I was really true, I would say to hell with tax exemption. We don't care if we have it or not. And uh, here we are. But our bigger supporters, they need a tax exemption for their write-off. And because it's, it's not secret, it's sacred. And so that's what she was responding to. Book of Mormon, Doctrine and Covenants, Contradict Show. Phantom says, this is why I believe Joseph Smith didn't practice polygamy. The Book of Mormon is more important than the Doctrine and Covenants. Um, to believe that Joseph Smith didn't practice polygamy is to really put on blinders. You would follow Denver Snuffer, and that's his whole point. I prefer to read the research of Todd Compton and, uh, um, and his books because... Uh, as a Latter-day Saint, he affirms so many historical evidences of Smith and his polygamy, beginning with Fanny Alger and going on down. Uh, then we get to a bunch of cat comments, and then we get to the seven-table scene. I'm not going to read this one, except this one says that Moses is the devil. That's what Old Testament God of Lord of Hosts says. Moses is the true Satan. I want to. I didn't. I don't understand him completely, but I will say this. Paul points out that it is by the law we have a knowledge of sin. By the law is a knowledge of sin. And so um, it could be that that's what he means, is that Moses producing the law was actually in the place of making people sinners, which is similar to what Satan would do. And that might be what he means. People are jumping on him. And I don't agree that he is the Hasetan that was fell from heaven and, and all that stuff, but he could mean that. Almost done. So how much time do we have? Um, Stephanie Smith said on the seven table scenes, amen, brother Sean, uh, James White and Sean McCraney, 2.0, first round boxing says, woman at two hours, 31 minutes was annoying. I'm a biblical Christian like Sean isn't, question mark. Um, it's fun to have those. Those are fun when people would come and we could talk. I wish people would still show up and talk with me, but they won't anymore. I'm being excommunicated. I've been excommunicated from the body of believers who are right in all their assessments of the scripture. Uh, also on James White, first round boxing says, Sean is too smart for people who think they know everything. I'm really not. I am a jackass and I just read and let the spirit move, I hope. Christians who don't go to church, that's a cat show. Uh, it says, tattooing is so annoying. These guys don't know theology. That's from Jason Bourne. 
anyone who calls him his wife and all that stuff. Sure, whatever. But the reality is, is it promoted a racist perspective and it, pre it promoted racism within Mormons. And that's the reality. So it may not have been uh, formed in, uh, as a racist foundation. The end result was still racism. And uh, it, it's still prevalent within the LDS church. Uh, even though they adopt black people and they have black leaders and things like that, racism is still there with the older crowd. Um, it's funny. We talked about the curse of Cain, the black skin, as the Mormons talked about. Alexander says, make no mistake, the mark of Cain was white skin and blue eyes. <laughs> That's often awesome. <laughs> Man, I swear. Uh, Don Preston debates. Robert Bolog says, Don Preston's arguments are more scriptural. It allows scripture to define its own fulfillment. The other side can be interpreted anyway. And you're so right. Uh, Don knows the scripture and he studies it. And he knows his stuff. And when Pastor Wallace, our brother, tried to debate Don, Don took him apart. And uh, Pastor Wallace, he came back and said he wasn't prepared and everything else. But bottom line, when you study your eschatology like Don Preston has, he knows his stuff. And the American Christ, that's a cat show, cat show. Uh, James White, we're almost done. James White fanboys are a bigger cult than the LDS said first round boxing. I guess a fanboy is a fan of a person and American, American there, there. And I think we're going to, yep, we're going to wrap it up with that. So write your comments below, hit like, subscribe, tell your friends about the show. All the information necessary is down below. It's all out there in links for you. If you want to know more about Heart of the Matter and we'll see you next week here on the show.